Hello and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things real housewives. My name's Ellie Nunn and do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. It's my co-host James Evans. Hello. That's what everyone missed was me sitting in like five minute silence before we started yeah. trying to think of what to say. It was a group effort as well. I gave you nothing. James, I have one question on one question only to start this week. Okay. <laughs> Hit me with it. Do you like pineapple on your pizza? Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. No, no, I don't actually. No, no. Wait, Ellie, do you like pineapple on your pizza? Because whatever you think, I think. <laughs> oh, that's such a shame, isn't it? Because me and Davide, we love pineapple on our pizzas, don't we? We, we love pineapple on our pizza. Uh, no, no, baby, we don't. Well, I thought, uh, yes, we do. Don't we? <laughs> oh my god babes that's so embarrassing you were just saying that to just agree with it weren't you so good <laughs> the best exchange over pineapple on pizza i ever did see for anyone who missed what on earth we're talking about head over to our insta and yes. find out it's pure comedy gold from beginning to end from the top of, from the very beginning just ekin sue standing there slapping her hand on the table going let's talk about pizza you do you like pizza <laughs> And just this girl being like, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I like pizza. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And Ekin Sue asking with such venom. You do, do you? Do you? What kind of pizza do you like? Yeah, what what kind of pizza, pizza do you like? Oven pizza. Oh, oven pizza. Yeah, Italian pizza. <laughs> yeah, what kind? Oh, I don't like the one with pineapple. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, me and Davide love the one with pineapple, don't we? There's so much subtext beneath all the pizza talk. It's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. It was thrilling. And to be honest, Love Island's been so boring this week. That was the highlight of the week. The oh, rest has it? of it was so dull. This happens every year. We get to the end. They run out of drama. So instead, they all just couple up and they're all very happy and they go on dates. And suddenly, I just feel sad and alone and I don't want to watch anymore. So, oh, so we're on the home stretch. There's going to be no more late home arrivals, stretch. no more bombshells I don't, mixing it up. I don't think so. Shit. No, I think we're. I think we're the end of an era. But it does look like I think Ekinsu and Davide might win. They're, so they're gonna. You, you think so? And do you think that one of them's going to take the whole prize, or do you think they will end up splitting it? No, I think they've fallen in love. That you, you think it's real? He made her a tiramisu. Oh, you don't do that unless you love someone. How far they've come! He went from forgetting to make her a coffee one morning to making her a whole coffee-based dessert. Isn't that magic? Tiramisu. Isn't that the Hallmark movie that we all... Oh, my God. ...that we all need? Those two are a Hallmark movie. What's an alliterative title with T in it? Like, tiramisu... Tiramisu for two. For two. Yeah, perfect. There we go. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Love it. Let's book it. Film it now. <laughs> Ellie to play Ekansu. I'm thrilled. I can't wait. So... Uh. How have you been? Um, so in case anyone thought that last episode wasn't my best work, I don't know why you would think that, you would have reason to, because it turns out I had COVID the whole time. It was my very first time I popped my COVID cherry, the first time I've knowingly had COVID. Babe, congratulations. Thank you. Slightly humbled. I thought I was more superhuman than that. And I was just really healthy. I know, we've all been there. No, the person who has eye herpes multiple <laughs> months in a row. Is not impervious to COVID. It turns out I'm actually very sickly. Uh, so yeah, I was I was locked away for five days, and I've got a bit do lally tap. Haven't really seen anyone, but I'm on the mend. I'm just without my sense of taste. Was it and okay? Smell. Did you have? Yeah, it was Still? fine. Oh. Yeah, no, I didn't. I could taste everything during COVID, and now I'm sort of on the mend, and all the other symptoms have receded. Now I can't taste anything. How boring. 
I've had worse colds. I wouldn't have known had I not just had a test that I randomly took at home. So yeah, on the mend, I'm at home now. It's a very thundery, stormy day outside, which I can only assume is because we're discussing the unholy trinity that is Danielle, Erica, and Ekinsu and the local <laughs> ecosystem. It's just too much for it to handle. And it's just completely freaked out. That explains the weird weather here as I, well. I, You're I, so right. It's the end of the world. So thank God the Love Island's ending soon because we can't sustain all three of these powerhouses in one go. You're absolutely right. Exactly. Yeah. The reality TV world cannot hold. Uh, for sure. The centre cannot hold. For sure. It's going to be a nice release actually because after today, we're going to say goodbye to Danielle, aren't we? This is her big send-off. I know. I can't bear it. Oh my god, end of an era. Before we get there though, how have you been? Did you survive the great heat wave of 2022? Are you in one? Barely. Okay. It was quite odd. The heat wave was actually okay. It didn't feel that much hotter in the theatre than any other tech. Tech is always hot because you're in heavy costumes and you're under lights. Hot lights, yeah. It didn't feel that different. And then for some reason, the second half of the week, when it wasn't as hot outside, the theatre became unbearable and that was really hard and there was it's there's literally uh, the the dressing rooms are sub-level and there is a particular step as you go down the stairs where the heat hits you every single time and it is like descending to hell it's horrible also we discovered we all had these little um mechanisms in the dressing room that kept beeping and we couldn't work out what it was turns out they beep when there's too much co2 in the room and they're going off non-stop and it's literally because there's too many of us downstairs oh my god yeah it's mad way too many people I'm fine. I'm through it. It was a really, really challenging and taxing week in terms of just being, I think, the most exhausted I've ever been and just completely burnt out and drained. And also just kind of the opposite of your COVID thing, but having like five, six days where you can't get away from each other. And it's the best company, the loveliest people ever. But when you're hot and in a tech and you never value like a moment on your own more I think than in a tech especially with all of these like very sweet but like ever-present children and um I definitely I hit my threshold with the kids there was this it was like five days into the tech and I was stood in the wing with these four kids waiting to go on for a scene change and one of them was like Ellie and I was like yeah and she was like you need to be out of breath when you come on so it looks like you've been chasing us and I was like Thank you. You little bitch. I could feel myself being like, right, somebody take the kids away, take the kids away. I think we need a meeting with HR right now. These little girls, this is borderline harassment at this point. It's bullying. Or this iced coffee and are you married talk and giving you notes. It was the same girl. Oh, she's a problem. She's a problem. Yeah. I've got my eye on her. It's, Mm. there was another point where she was like, Ellie, 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 Ellie. And I said, yes. She went, are you okay? And I went, yep. And she went, are you sure? And I went, yeah, I'm just tired. And she went, so why did you say yes? She's playing mind games with me, James. She is playing mind games. She's fucking with you. She's she's fucking with me. Is that a threat? (laughs) I've got a note for her. Go fuck yourself. That's my note. (laughs) How's that? So, I just can't help I'm just myself. I'm glad to be through it, and uh, I just can't help myself. Can you imagine? <laughs> See, there's a 20-foot drop off the front of the stage, and I just oh, can't help oh, myself. Bang. Obviously, the kids are great. but um, Could have fooled me. Yes, long week, and yesterday I just didn't feel like a human being. I felt like a husk, and now I'm finally, after a long bath, a lush bath bomb, a roast dinner last night. Oh, and, lovely. Uh, and like a vat of iced coffee, Ooh. I feel a little more, a little more myself today. That would set anyone right. Oh, 
Exactly. So I'm here and ready to talk about Danielle. What else would I want to do on my day off than talk about Danielle Staub? Here, Mm-mm-mm. here. But first, should we check in with oh. Beverly Hills? Yes, of course. Yeah. So, BH, um, I feel like I had quite a lot to say about this most recent episode. Oh. Yeah. I find the eating, uh, I find the eating disorder stuff really difficult to watch. Oh, for sure. It was, um, I, I kind of characterized this episode as there were two moments in this episode at the beginning and at the end that were two extremes of my emotional spectrum. One brought me pure joy and one brought me pure misery. And the misery was this eating disorder debacle. It, f- it makes me feel like we haven't come anywhere since season two. Yeah. It just made me feel like the women still just have no idea how to deal with these very sensitive topics and issues. And I couldn't believe the way that both like Kyle and Erica were speaking to Crystal about it. I just thought it was so... I found it really shocking. Yeah, I mean, much like season two vibes, again, the fact that it's Crystal yet again, the most obviously wounded one in the group who's on the receiving end of it, where at this point, it just feels like kicking someone when they're down and and just reinforcing this, I think, quite unfair depiction of her as simply a martyr and and nothing more, Mm. because she's already a younger generation to the rest of them. She's one of the only housewives of colour in the group. I think reading between the lines, a lot of her frustrations that she's voiced so far, it seems like she's already, she already sometimes feels on the outs. And I just feel like from her very first fight with Sutton last year, she immediately got bogged down in her distress and how the others didn't really extend any grace to let her feel what she was feeling. And every storyline for her and the group since has been about her trauma and how the other women misinterpret it or dismiss it or mm. talk very cavalierly about it and basically just treat her like a bit of an oddity. And I really, really hope at some point on the show, the other women invite her in to participate in a way that feels more reciprocal and, and equal and less like she's just some weird exhibition of hardship for them to gawp at. I know that Erica is getting all the flack on the show and the way it's been presented on the show. Quite rightly, don't get me wrong. At least in some weird way, maybe it came from like a morbid interest that she had. Whereas there's something very insidious about Garcelle, considering that she got a little confessional calling Erica out, saying to Crystal, you look thin, take the compliment, say thank you. There was just something about that as well. It was sort of coming from all angles. And I think that Garcelle managed to get away with that. Oh my God, I didn't even hear that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how, so she walked up to Crystal and said that before then Erica started grilling her. It was, it was the whole Gosh, thing. Went to, I to, I, so I'm so surprised I missed that. I, I think I wasn't watching properly. Yeah. But that is so important. It's so funny with that because... It's such a toxic thing in our culture that's so difficult to undo as a habit or a behaviour. But I had it yeah. the other day where someone in the creative team of the show came up to me and I could see that they were, they meant it so much compliment. They put their hands on my waist and they like whispered to me in this conspiratorial way. They were like, you've lost so much weight. Your waist is tiny. And hmm. I just didn't know what to say. I was yeah. like, uh, because... I've worked so hard over the years to break the cycle of weight loss being a compliment and being the goal. And I think it's something that we have to work so hard societally to break away from a sense that smaller is good and bigger is bad. And um, 
there's so much tied into almost like a morality thing or like a congratulatory thing of like success or I just think it's something we have to work very hard on and it's really sad for it to be presented especially to someone with an eating disorder as a compliment. And I think Garcelle knows all of that. I mean, come on, she's a smart woman. She's a socially conscious person living Mm. in LA. And if she just stopped it, you look thin. I could have put it down to just a faux pas and nothing more, but there was just something very knowing about her following it up with, it's a compliment, say thank you, where she's almost intentionally trying to undo the hard work that Crystal's done, trying to divorce, as you say, thinness from a sense of self-worth or superiority, which I just found very troubling, especially coming from someone like Garcelle, who I usually admire. Very insensitive and, and like you say, insidious. And it was tricky with Kyle as well, because I know that in a very Bethany way, she was like, oh, I had it as well, so I'm allowed to ask. But I'm like, just because you've had experience with something doesn't mean it shouldn't be handled with care. Mm -hmm. And just because you feel able to ask quite bluntly about something doesn't mean someone's able to like receive bluntly. And I think you do need to like ask. Or just that you've come to terms with it, it doesn't mean that Crystal has. I mean, the way that Kyle's always presented her story with Mm. an eating disorder has always been, it was in the past and I kind of got over it, whereas Crystal's very clearly in it right now, in the thick of it. So there's an imbalance there. Yeah, so... Yeah, I found all of that really yeah. um, difficult to watch. Yeah, it was it was really troubling and it was a, a really strange note to end the episode on. Considering, like I said, I began the episode giggling like a little school child because the scene, I can't remember the last time I've laughed so much as I have during the scene where Dorit meets Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh my just, God, it was so funny. <laughs> just the coupling of those two is just an inherently funny one. It's beyond my wildest dreams. And then when Jamie Lee Curtis just started whipping out all this merch for her charity and Dorit's commenting on it, like she's sitting... It was like a it sketch. Was, it was completely like she French and Saunders. She was pulling out, like, lit- exactly. It just was like, that, the whipping out the props. She's pulling out, like, dog poo bag holders like, or something. And Dorit's like, so chic, so chic. Yeah, like, <laughs> license plate holders, wind chimes. Wind chimes! Mm. Matt wind chimes. So those are the chicest wind chimes I've ever Chic. seen. It was great prop work from Jamie Lee Curtis. She's she's a multifaceted queen. She can do horror. She can do comedy. I like to think in the extended cut of the scene, like the props just kept coming and coming and they got bigger and bigger. She was taking out like your hand in mine trombone and like <laughs> your hand in mine, like a live fish or something. <laughs> and all the while Dorit's just commenting on it like she sat in the front row of New York Fashion Week mm. oh she so she and then when Jamie then when Jamie Lee Curtis pulls out a thermos and Dorit's like it keeps things hot and cold and then Jamie's <laughs> like hot and cold hot and cold mm, amazing oh god amazing. it was so funny <laughs> commenting like it's Luanne in front of her face Jamie Lee Curtis was just generally like when she first walked in I was a bit like wow Jamie Lee Curtis doing a whole guest ep basically and then when she kept saying to Kyle about I'm not here for your roots being covered like I'm here because you have because you're kind and because you have and I was like oh you're quite crazy I was like oh okay I know yeah you are actually very Hollywood it was one of those things where I was like I love Jamie Lee Curtis but it's like actually like oh yeah you're, <laughs> like it's not that you're surprising really you're here you're really intense yeah <laughs> don't get me wrong I think she was a very good sport and a professional but I bet she probably hated every fucking second she had to be there she probably said to her manager I'll do it only for the charity I'm staying there for 20 minutes not a second more I'm flogging 
in all the your hand in mine crap I can. I'm collecting donations from these bitches and then I'm out of here. Totally. I loved her going round with the um the places being like Sutton? Sutton? <laughs> <laughs> and Kyle being like, Oh my god, I accidentally put Sutton and Diana next to each other. Whoops. And it's just like, oh like, shit. Don't up. waste your breath exactly. saying this to Jamie Lee Curtis. She doesn't give a shit. Exactly. Oh, um what else happened god, in that episode? Funny, uh <laughs> Not a lot. I don't remember anything else. I just thought it was a lot of filler. Sutton apologised to Diana, and it was like a mm-hmm. it was like a proper apology, and that was really good. I think I think that was a good understanding for them to come to. Otherwise, yeah, there was a little bit more with this Erica thing of when Erica talks about Tom when she's like saying about how Tom called her. Tom calls her. Um, Tom calls her. Uh, about her having COVID. I just find it really hard to imagine their phone calls because they do make it like Tom doesn't even know who he is or what day of the week it is. And yet he's lucid enough to call and be like, I heard you had COVID, are you okay? I find it very weird. I just took it as, is it not one of those things where he's at that point, at that stage with his illness where he still has good days and bad days and maybe, yeah, he just got her on a day where he was fairly lucid. Or maybe it was like he knew that someone had COVID, didn't know that she was his wife. When I heard that, I had a very sudden, okay, that's confusing moment. (laughs) Okay. I know that two plus two equals four and I don't even do math. (laughs) I'm kind of... I don't even know if I want... No, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not going to say it. You're about to say you're Team America. I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but dare I say it, I kind of get where Kyle's coming from when she says, I like this new Erica. <laughs> like, I disagree in that I don't think she's fun and breezy and light. She's definitely a desperate woman crying out for help. But that undeniably constitutes a new Erica who, as a TV character is an improvement yeah like i'd much rather see her mixing her meds and yelling abuse at someone than see yet another scene of her getting glam in her mansion with mikey like screaming at her wig going yes bitch she's iconic (laughs) she's the moment like she still has all the glam but now her personal and financial life is in complete tatters she's got nothing to lose and with all of that comes a certain freedom because Erica finally doesn't have to keep up appearances and can be frank with herself and and with us. She she's both style and substance now. She's a lovely terry cloth of a, a housewife right now. Okay. As opposed to the the matte latex sheen that we've had before. Wind chimes. Mm. <laughs> so chic. So chic. Right. So anyway. Where did we leave off with New Jersey last week? Did we leave off at the French designer or whoever he is. The- he ain't French. He's Jersey through and through. Jersey Stephen designer. Dan. Stephen Dan. That's it. <laughs> Stephen Dan. He could have been... Uh, Stephen Dan. He, he is Stephen uh, Dan. From Long Island. Have you ever... Have I ever told you about when I was in France when I was younger? With my friend who speaks French and I ordered some Galois cigarettes and she was like, it's Galois. And I was like, oh, okay. And then the next time I was ordering some, I bought some... Pal Mal cigarettes and I was like bum out <laughs> and she was like no those are just Pal Mal <laughs> bum out it means daily bread yeah exactly <laughs> okay so Stephen Dan's design yes. room this scene I think is a little microcosm of Danielle's whole trajectory during her first time on the show where she's this underdog outsider mm-hmm. who's getting borderline bullied she finally stands up for herself, but completely overcorrects. Completely misfired, exactly. In a way where she's suddenly then the villain and mm-hmm. has isolated herself even further to the point where there's no longer a place for her on the show. 
Yeah. And it just all happens in the space of five minutes. You're so right. We haven't been to James's costume hour for quite some time, but there's a lot of great looks in this scene. Talk us through it. Well, we have to start with Danielle because she promises to come to the store wearing something very expensive. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> she doesn't disappoint. So she comes head to toe in this yellow-based Versace number. Versace, I don't know if it yeah. actually is, but yeah, Versace. <laughs> it's just such an apt and prescient designer to choose for such a scene. It's gaudy, it's theatrical, it's kind of sleazy. Yeah. It honestly looks like it's something that should belong in the fashion section of the V&A. If there was a Housewives Museum, that would be... Wouldn't that be amazing if there was like a Housewives costume collection? Can you imagine? I mean, come on, there's enough over the years. I yeah. Mean, Camille's really long would red be... dress would be People one. should, ooh, maybe you should put together an Insta post of like the most iconic outfits. Of... Yes, all right, I will do. And people Everyone send, send in, us your, send in, your top picks. Yeah, suggestions, because I'm just we'll, trying to think we'll like the Alex it. McCord like flesh trains. Of course. Camille's red dress. Dana Wilkie's $25,000 sunglasses. Oh my God, of course. <gasps> There's so many. Carol's like short shorts on her first appearance. All of those outfits that they wore on New York where they go to the Hamptons where Bethany's like, everybody took LSD before yes! they went into the uh, tunnel. And then- <laughs> Luann's entire Tenor Lady collection. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Oh, so good. So joining all of those pieces would be Danielle's head to toe Versace number. Also mm. She looks like a bumblebee. Looks like a bumblebee. Stings like a bumblebee. Yeah. And much like a bumblebee, once she's stung, she sort of like Dies. ended her life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Teresa's dressed in like this weird she looks like she's in a marching band from It's a Small World in the finale, where it's like they're all wearing white. It's sort of eerily whimsical. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we have Melissa, who's in this pink hot pant number with like a matching blazer. And it looks like she got it in a delivery from H&M that morning, just like shook it once to get all the creases out and just (laughs) flung it on and then went straight to the... Like She looks like she still smells of warehouse. Lovely. Yeah, so they're all there. They're all feeling themselves. They're dressed to the nines. Uh, They're all banding together making jokes about Danielle's vag and cackling manically because it's just one after the other. There's like random like trays of sushi and someone's like, Danielle's vagina, way. Yeah. <laughs> and then they'll be like, oh, there's a gaping hole. It's Danielle's vagina, way. <laughs> and there's a bush outside, way. <laughs> and it gets so blatant that it gets to the point where Danielle has to walk over and be like, what's your problem, trout mouth? And then Margaret and Danielle start to duke it out. Yeah. Before we get to the big blow up, I'm such a sucker. I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm such a sucker for one of the colorful background characters on these shows who give a great reaction shot. And there's a great clip here where they keep cutting to this one of the sales associates who looks exactly like Kat Slater. And she's like hunched over and she's moving from behind one sales rack to another sales rack but like on her tiptoes like very um, dick dastardly and muttly she looks like a panto villain like trying not to get caught in the crossfires and then just following her is this very middle-aged sales associate who honestly looks so out of place she has no idea what's going on or who she is she makes you know donna kim g's receptionist look very young and with it i totally miss those two the devil's in the details and i know you're always so good with the details i know i know i love an not even a supporting character i just love an extra exactly 
I used to love yeah. with friends like clips of films where they pan past lots of extras. My friend Julia and I, our favourite one used to be in a Poirot episode <laughs> where they're walking through like outside a hotel and they've definitely been like to all the extras, they've been like, who can dive? And someone accidentally had their hand up thinking it was like, who's vegetarian or whatever. <laughs> and then they've been brought over and they've, they've realised, oh, they needed me to dive and they can't. And they've been like, how hard can it be? I'll just dial it out. And they're like waiting for the shot to pass to dive and then there's someone's clearly gone go and then they just plunge forward like completely <laughs> flat as they're walking past it was honestly it's one of my favorite things and just completely belly oh flop God. off the diving board that would so be something i'd end up getting myself into Ex- i know it was very you i can do that <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly how hard can I, it be um, i love pointing out colorful extras who are really going oh. for it like we must have done it when we watched the holiday together over thanksgiving i feel like that the holiday is yes, right yeah. for the picking for those sorts of crazy background characters exactly so yes anyway back to the the foreground marge says to danielle or she says to Teresa, she's like Teresa, danielle's been dragged and ridden hard and then danielle's like and so have your fucking titties and then in response to that margaret dumps an entire bottle of water all over danielle's head obviously i feel like violence is never the answer however i don't think i would dump a whole bottle of water over someone's head, much less Danielle's, unless I was absolutely certain I wasn't going to get a smack in the face. Do you disagree? No, I totally agree. And it's a bit like I was saying last week about, or the week before or whenever it was, but about pushing in the pool where I was like, you don't have an argument by the edge of a pool unless you know that someone's going to get pushed in. And I was like, they knew they were going to do a fight like this. And they knew it was going to be big. Two points from me. Firstly, when we first got our dog, as many of you dog owners out there will know, they're very fluffy, they're very cute. And then the first time you give them a bath, it's a bit of a shock to find out that underneath all of that fluff, dogs just look like little baby vultures. And the first time we gave our dog a bath, I was kind of horrified that I was like, oh my God, that's what's underneath. It was just like, she looked very like a gremlin, just all bones and stuff like that. And Danielle looks much the same. Once that bottle of water gets poured over, without the volume in her hair, it's like, oh my God. It's like, she really looks like the whole thing of like, don't get them wet after midnight or whatever the rule is. It's like she sort of transforms yeah it's like the water has a physical effect on danielle there's this really horrifying shot afterwards when she's standing outside the shop with Teresa, and she's clicking her jaw out of its socket that's how it looks anyway and it honestly it's like she's a robot and the water's sort of like gotten into her circuit board and now she's like short circuiting yeah and the second point i'll make is yeah i don't think i'd have been that shocked if she just slapped her what i really didn't expect was to have the thought to go over, find that person's bag really quickly, which is already quite a rogue snap decision to make. Pick up a giant candle and like pour candle wax into someone's bag. It's kind of genius. It's very creative. It's so creative. It's the kind of thing I might think to do when I was like 10. In Mm -hmm. Like, you know, with kids, when you like think, I once, when I was at primary school, I poured milk into a girl's pockets of her school coat. Ooh, that's cold. Was it deserved? Oh, yeah. Was this a Danielle-style retribution for... For sure. ...harsh wrongings? Okay. Yeah. I love her creativity. But also, I just love that it takes ages where you're like, what is she doing? Oh, she's pouring pouring the candle in the bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. 
<laughs> it's very theatrically satisfying as well because they make a point of referencing this $500 candle before the scene even begins. It's a very Chekhovian gun situation. Yes, you're so right. This is this is important, this candle. Keep an eye on this yes, candle. Yes, remember this candle. So while after she does that, there's a lot of stalking around. They're all cleaning up Danielle's mess that she's made in this candle. It should really be done at that point. It's like your, your tit for tat, your bottle of water over the head pour the oh, candles yeah. worth of wax into someone's bag we're very like oh what's the thing where someone pulls pranks on each other back and forth maybe i'm just thinking of the twits but i'm like okay one for one like <laughs> right now you're good even. if anything it, it should be margaret's turn even, like, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah but like a reality tv pro absolutely she has she goes and pulls her hair, and like a reality TV pro, you can't just pull someone's hair in silence, much like you could in real life. You have to announce it with yeah. a, a kind of ominously phrased line. In this case, it's, I just can't help myself. I really can't help myself. <laughs> and then whips Marge's head back and then just drags her along the floor. And it's the sound, and it's the end of one episode, of course. It's going to end on yeah. to be continued, of course. But they end that episode with a load of slow, like slow motion zoom ins on various housewives' faces, each of them going, (gasps) 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 like it's the end of a Spanish soap opera or something, where it like cuts away to the title saying to be continued, but you can hear the cacophony of sound continue. And it's just all the women screaming, but then above the din, you can just hear Danielle giving the best villain laugh like a proper like (laughs) type of laugh oh it's so good amazing Um, amazing amazing i do think with this we'd be remiss not to talk about whenever violence crops up on these shows i feel like people often have this kind of debate about where the line is and i do kind of wonder where the line is especially on reality tv because we can all agree, I think, that getting your hair pulled is worse than getting wet. As Marge and her team state many times, one leaves you physically hurt, the other one doesn't. I get that. But what are the acts that fall between those two on the scale? And where do we draw the line between what's just a permissible run-of-the-mill violation and what is mm. downright violence? Especially because it's reality TV where the name of the game is to be as provocative and yeah. loud and angry as possible. And you can escalate confrontations in a way that you never really could in real life. But there's also this vague moral code of violence is never the option. And like yeah. Andy might be quite quick in a reunion to be like, we don't condone this, but there's no follow up of what you do condone and what is allowed. It just it suddenly feels like you're just pulling a load of drunk, angry people into the ring and being like, come on, get angry, get angry, fight, fight, I, fight. Yeah. And then suddenly be like, whoa, that's never okay. You should know that. I know, but it's kind of the same with Love Island at the moment that it's like, they used to do certain challenges that they've pulled in Love Island for this sort of mental health of the contestants so they used to do a challenge where they would show them bits of headlines about them so that they for the first time they'd suddenly get a sense of like what the public thought of their relationships and things like that and they've stopped those challenges but at the same time i'm like yeah but you've just replaced them with other you need drama to happen otherwise the show won't get the millions of views and pull people in so they have a similar thing where it's like they kind of need the men to be toxic and to cheat on the women every year in the same way but also it's very toxic behavior that just happens again and again and it's like terrible messaging so i think that's a real problem with reality tv in general and one which i always feel quite stumped by because it's the strongest argument against watching it is that consciously or unconsciously you're constantly 
digesting provoked behavior for the sake of entertainment that is categorically both unrealistic in a way but also mm-hmm. normally quite like morally compromising mm-hmm. because like i was saying about love island it's got to a point now at the end where it's like really boring and like yeah. why is it boring because they're all coupled up and happy but that's terrible because that should be the good point yeah but we don't want that we want problems yeah we want drama i also think from a production perspective like i said in that you can escalate confrontations on these shows in a way that you can't in real life so in many ways the draw for a lot of people watching these shows is that it's a flight of fancy and that you can vicariously live through the women saying go fuck yourself you're a disgusting piece of shit and you can't say that to your nemesis in real life so on the one hand it's a bit of a fantasy but Of course, for the women as performers and as employees of a production company, it's not a fantasy when you get punched in the face or your hair gets pulled. Exactly. You're no longer just playing a part anymore. And this is an improv. That's a very real world pain. That's a very real ramification. That's no longer a fantasy. And and it's something that's completely suddenly at odds with the thesis of the show. Exactly. I, I just wonder what the protection is as an employer, how they keep everything in line, how you encourage sort of drunken belligerence, but also keep your employees safe from the threat of getting the shit kicked out of them. Yeah, especially on New Jersey. Completely. It's like an occupational hazard. And as a performer, it's kind of what we've said before on a, maybe on a more extreme level, we've discussed people like Aviva and throwing the leg. It's like, how close do you get that line to that line of creating great TV Mm. before crossing that line and then very easily losing your job because of it? It's just such a tricky issue. And Danielle definitely would have been there being like, this is exactly what the show wants from me. Yeah. Especially considering what we later find out about her being encouraged by the person who seems to hold the most sway of anyone on the show yeah so the the fallout of this is like you say is that amazing microcosm of danielle basically getting herself booted off the show because once again she finds herself in a position where no one will film with her and Mm -hmm. where she's completely isolated and and where teresa's not passionate enough about their friendship exactly for her to be around that much you know exactly and really teresa just drove me mad at the end of this series because Ultimately, it just shows what we've been saying again and again and again. And I know it's nothing new, but that the only thing she rewards is blind loyalty. And as they all point out, and I just can't understand why they all continue to be friends with her, but they all point out, what does that show morally that you have defended this person for an entire season despite their behaviour? Because you say they haven't behaved that way towards you, even though that's been your argument for the last like three seasons, whenever you've had an issue with someone that other people should be on your side only to the second that that person does anything against you, cut all ties and end everything from that friendship. Even though you're the one that at least I respected when Teresa was saying, but she called me every single day when my mum was dying or whatever. At least I respected that she was saying like, there's a friendship there, but the idea that what just once that gets crossed on your end, that's the end despite i i just think i just think teresa's just terrible and yeah uh so yeah i just stand by what you're always saying about like i don't really understand why she's the most powerful person on the show why anyone wants her friendship which they all seem to want ultimately yeah it's always an interesting one comparing and contrasting the different cities and what gives a housewife power on the show and for some of them i feel like 
it's like intelligence or it's money or it's just sheer longevity. And mm. I wonder whether for New Jersey, it's just a case of longevity. And yeah. uh, and with longevity, I guess there's an implication of survival. And with that strength and the, and the assumption that you're still here because you've endured the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. And I think that New Jersey possibly more than any other cast, really does fetishize strength and suffering through misery. And like, I admire everything you've been through, Teresa, with you going away and then Joe going away and the kids and your parents. You're just so strong. You're you're Jersey strong. Yeah, really interesting. Very strange. So let's unpack this whole revelation of how Danielle ratted out Teresa or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, So this is the very end of the season it's their sort of big finale party and what have they blown their budget on a backyard party at the jersey shore i know (laughs) (sighs) don't worry all the husbands are there yay (laughs) so but melissa can't be there because she's been called to have a meeting with danielle because danielle for the life of her just can't understand why melissa would go against her And it does, um, not that Danielle has a point, but I think I said it a couple of seasons ago where Melissa was sort of the only one who didn't wait for an excuse for Danielle to like personally hurt her. She just dropped her as a friend because she didn't like the way that she was treating Margaret, which, you know, is is what it is. And I, I feel like Melissa can't believe her luck that A, she's been the one deemed important enough to facilitate Danielle's final scene on the show, but also B, that she's the messenger for this really juicy, damning bit of information against her arch nemesis, Teresa. I feel like she, there's like no drug in the world that could give you the high that Melissa must have felt <laughs> waltzing back into that party knowing knowing that she was about to fuck Teresa over completely. It's and like so completely, un, like inescapably. It's so damning. And I have to say, I assumed, as I'm sure most viewers did, that when Danielle first said it, she was lying. I did not expect an immediate flashback to the scene of the crime and for it to be so clear and unambiguous and for Teresa just to say it so Consistently, it was a very rookie move of Teresa to say that so blatantly and in plain sight and not expect it to come back and bite her in the ass. Yeah. And I have to say that this show did a really good job of keeping Danielle's revelation under wraps, especially in this current era of housewives and in the age of social media where fans these days are savvy and they follow production like a hawk and everything's been leaked and it kind of feels like if you want to keep your ear close to the ground, you know exactly what happens in a season Mm. before it's even aired. This tidbit about Teresa egging Danielle on to pull Danielle's hair was a true twist that came out of left field. They normally can't help themselves with the, you know, they always love ending on a cliffhanger and a to be continued, but they really had a lot of restraint. The editors never flashing forward in a coming up. Like Danielle has some information about how she was swayed. It was really... No, no, it completely, yes, it, it was done really, really well. And also it was amazing. It kind of felt like the show, it felt almost very meta that the show has an awareness of Teresa's sway on the show. So for Teresa Mm. to be the one sort of ratted out and there was like a meta theatricality to end on her angry at production. Oh yeah. And to keep all of that in was amazing. To me, in some ways, Teresa, it's a bit like just to go back to our Trump comparison sometimes. And also Mm -hmm. obviously people like Vicky Gunderson, but... Do you remember when that whole grab him by the pussy thing came out, everyone was like, oh, he's done. 
Like no yeah. one, no one could come back from this. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt that with this, where I was like, "Oh, Teresa has been inescapably like ratted out for going against like her own moral code, going against a friend who she's openly admitted she doesn't have any problem with, like she doesn't yeah. even have an issue with." And we're all like going on about how bad Danielle is, and Teresa's just shown she's just as bad, and also her her fury at production showing that she would normally in some way have some say over like how she's represented on the show mm-hmm. and yet it just seemed to have no effect with it she comes back at the beginning of the next season completely so and also it barely comes up in the reunion she just gets away with it yeah she she doesn't get her feet held to the fire so nearly as much as she much should because like, uh, frustratingly the conversation immediately pivots to an opportunity to put it all on danielle and bury her once and for all and be like yeah look what your best friend danielle did look how she betrayed you i couldn't believe it and they're all more keen to get Teresa to just admit she was wrong about Danielle than to yeah yeah it's it's mad and it's such a brilliant moment like you say the giddiness of Melissa delivering the message Teresa's shock and the fact her like admission of guilt through her sort of silence and shock and the fact the way Margaret is so strongly comes in to defend her which just sums it all up that she's just immediately like Teresa I don't believe it I don't believe it and Teresa's stuck there being like ah 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 and stuff. This is the scene that I was thinking of when we were talking about Strippergate and why I was thinking maybe Teresa doesn't have any involvement in Strippergate because Teresa in this scene, 10 years into this gig, does such a terrible job of lying. She has absolutely no poker face. And like you say, she doesn't even have like an uphill job convincing the other women. Immediately everyone's like, no, Teresa wouldn't do that. Teresa, all she would have needed to have done is just go, yeah. And then she would have been off the hook. Instead, it goes to a place of like, I mean, I don't know what was happening. I was so... But she knows it's on camera, so... But then the fact that she's like, I, I hope they don't use this. And then Melissa's like, yeah, they're going to use it. That bit is just... And the side-eyeing of the cameras for that. And then the rage at realising she's been caught. And the zoom out. And then you reveal this camera crew. A great bit of meta television. And like yeah. hitting all of the like red cups off the table. Yeah. Oh, it's just brilliant. And also just the child response of shutting yourself in the bathroom or a room and being like nobody talks to me when you're the one that's fucked up is just amazing and very i imagine donald trump i don't like this in part and parcel with the pinning it all on danielle thing it's pointless because danielle's not going to come back anyway like Teresa will eventually even if it's not right now in this scene she's going to get the message that danielle's betrayed her you don't need to say that so you've already gotten one thing danielle's not coming back onto the show but you can also hold Teresa to account as well and i don't like this argument of danielle got her claws in Teresa when she was at her most vulnerable it's like, no, Teresa's a well-documented thug. Like the always, episode before, you were all laughing and joking about how back in the day on the Jersey Shore, she'd beat the shit out of any girl who looked at her boyfriends the wrong yeah. way. Like we know, it's exactly. Just, yeah. It's ridiculous. And it's just weird that in the reunion, the reunion's so interesting because there's just no, Teresa's barely held to account. The bulk of Teresa's kind of reunion chat is about Joe and the divorce. It's like there's a gag order on this whole ending. Andy Cohen kind of asks one perfunctory, like, Margaret, how do you feel knowing that Teresa egged her on? And it's like, it's weird. It's still all kind of put on Danielle, who has the most amazing, you know, true to Danielle exit of rocking up at the reunion with like a tiny dog in a pram that you're feeding medicine through a pipette (laughs) and refusing to go on unless you're sat next to Andy Cohen oh my god there's this amazing scene where Danielle corners this poor producer and she goes all mafia on them of course and she's like I've asked several times that I be seated next to Andy (laughs) either right or left none of mine (laughs) 
And also the kind of whole kind of, I don't have to be here thing where it's like, but you are because you have right. no other career. It's such a cautionary tale in wielding what little power you have left and then failing miserably. Completely. Exactly. And Andy Cohen basically coming back and being like, cool, well, if you want to come on to the reunion, we're going now. Yeah. End up. <laughs> and her having to yeah. just sit as far away from Andy as they put her. Because he clearly doesn't want to sit anywhere near. It's such a fascinating case study comparing Danielle's final reunion performance with that of Vicky Gumvelson's. And mm-hmm. if you haven't watched it, anyone, watch it now. You can watch it. You don't need to know any of the context of the season. It's a fascinating case study in slowly losing your power and relevance and scrambling for whatever you have oh, left. I may and have to go and watch a that thing this. of art. It's so, I know I always use this word, it's so camp. It's like any aging TV star who is so slowly coming to the realization that she's no longer relevant and it ends with vicky yelling at the camera to fuck off and then slamming the dressing room door in their face but she makes a similar demand she's fucking pissed that she's there as a friend of she's pissed that she's not been there from the beginning of filming until the end she demands that she sits next to andy cohen and andy actually does let her sit next to him so it's doubly embarrassing because i think these reunions came out at a similar time that danielle tries the same card and andy's just like well i can't put you next to Teresa, and i can't put you next to marge i'd love to have you out there but it's your call and basically just calls her bluff and then walks out so obviously like they must have known this was going to happen yeah. so i feel like andy really steeled himself so of course danielle decides to go out on set her tails between her legs but they're not quite ready to bring her out yet so she's just sort of awkwardly hovering in the literal wings of the set waiting <laughs> for her name to be called for, for andy to be like danielle come on out but it's like an entire segment that they're doing without her and it just keeps cutting to danielle standing there <laughs> <laughs> and there's like wide shots of the set talking about like i don't know jennifer fighting with jackie about the party or whatever and you can just see danielle off to the side like shifting her weight from one foot to the other and it's not only that danielle is at the end but she has to suffer the indignity the ultimate indignity which is sitting at the end in a separate chair which is usually reserved for the likes of kim d and dana wilkie and all those other desperate weirdos who aren't a proper part of the cast yeah and it's just the whole archetype that danielle's playing of this aging performer whose best days are behind her and she's yammering on about how she's she's an og and she deserves respect it just works so perfectly in this setting because it's the 10-year anniversary the reunion's really leaning into it. It's very nostalgic with all the throwbacks in the set. They bring out a literal time capsule. It feels like the whole show has been tailor-made to really lean into Danielle's delusions of another era. I've only got 4% battery, so I'm afraid that we're going to have to end oh, you're joking. <laughs> relatively soon. Um, but I thought we might want to talk quickly about Joe and Teresa and the Italy trip. Yes. Um... I think that it couldn't have come at the best time for her because I think this has saved her from the villainy of It the leaves you on that Danielle note, exactly. It kind of humanizes her. And it's this strange epilogue that comes at the the at the second half of the finale episode because everyone like wraps up their title yeah, yeah. cards and everything halfway through and then we just get Teresa trying to save her marriage to Joe in Italy. It's so harrowing watching them go through the motions, trying to sort of recreate these romantic... Well, not even recreate, I guess just create these romantic... Well, no, I'd say she's not really trying to save it. I think she's done. She turns up done. No, Joe's... 
No, it's just that thing of Joe suddenly realizing now he needs to step up as a husband and just be yeah. a bit of a romantic stuff that he's never done before, and taking them to the Amalfi Coast. It's and- really sad, I know, and I and she's just not interested, and it's such a shame because some of the moments actually it's quite sweet. Him when he tries to buy her the thing, and she's just like no. And she's like, just not she's not into it and then they're in the room and they're like the two-star hotel room and they're sort of or well, he's trying to get an invite to sleep in bed with her and stay oh god it's painful if you haven't seen it it's exactly like a scene from blue valentine where i was about like, to say or like gonna scene, say, yeah. or i was gonna say like scenes from a marriage it's like yeah it's like an amazing play or something just a kind of ha- where how did we get here yeah and where do we move to and they're just stuck in this limbo but the whole thing is held together with these actually very emotional lovely scenes of the kids with their dad and how happy the yeah. kids are and the kind of huge chasm between joe and Teresa. whenever there's like a group hug they're like as far away from each other as possible but they want the family to be together and it's just it's yeah it's kind of amazing very roman polanski kind of and vibe. it's fascinating just seeing the two of them have these such emotionally weighty high stakes scenes where they're litigating the state of their dying marriage but it's played out by two of the least articulate emotionally unexpressive individuals on television which actually weirdly it heightens the scene in a way yeah it's like normal people it's the way that the whole of normal people was just them being like yeah yeah okay yeah, right. And it's just like all silence and subtext and sort of gestures and like swelling yeah, yeah. the wine and Oh, the wine swelling. That was a good line from Teresa where he's like, Oh, it's got legs and she's like, Well, I got legs, look at me. <laughs> well done, Teresa. Quite the joke stuff. And then they went into the sex toy business together, so you know, happy endings all round. As <laughs> Roman Polanski would have wanted. I'm so sorry that it's having to be a, a shorter episode today. This part of my chaotic, mad week has meant that I haven't been able to charge my iPad. No, it's all okay. We're just happy to have you. We know you're very busy, and I can't wait to see you again, hopefully this time next week, to you will. discuss the madness that is season 11. The beginning of season 11. One thing I want to say now about that beginning of season 11 is every other Housewives franchise, I think, really lent into the whole, and then the pandemic hit, and like clips of the pandemic, and just being like, oh my god, the world shut down. New Jersey just doesn't reference it, and I didn't even know that it was post-COVID until someone was wearing a mask, and I was like, What? And it just, like, slips by. I think it's Jersey. I just don't think they gave a shit. <laughs> it's so funny. I was just like... There you are. Yeah. <laughs> mad. Um, what does this week entail for you? Um, sorry, I just got a really hot flash. Oh, menopause um, hits us all, babe. It does. <laughs> First comes the eye herpes, then comes the menopause. HRT, here I come. Uh, no, nothing. Just enjoying your freedom now that post-COVID, you're just going know, outside and breathing around, deeply. Yeah, exactly. Seeing what few friends I have. Painting left. the town yeah. red, exactly. Yeah. Oh, New you, York's so yeah, lucky to is. have you. What about me? Same old, same old, James, just me and all the children of Nottingham. Just stand up to those kids, okay? Just tell them what for. <sighs> I promise, I will. I'll take a leaf out of Teresa's book. Can you imagine if I came back and I just can't just fuck help up. myself. <laughs> if you need someone to stand there going, just do it, 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 do it. I'll find someone, I'll come. I promise. I know you would. It's for a worthy cause. I'm so scared that it's all somehow going to get turned on me and it's going to be like Ellie was bullying one of the children. I have to watch my back. Mm. And my neck, apparently. Oh, I realised that wasn't on the show. I was, I'd shown James a video of me being strangled with a hula coop by one of the child. It's fine. It's, it, <laughs> it was it's, a whole thing. It's a it whole was... thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh thank you for joining us in the housewives archives 
If you want more content, then head over to our Instagram page where James does lots of fantastic memes. Or you could leave us a Thank review, you. which is always helpful. Or simply tell your friends. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. And that's called winging it.